Welcome to Week Conversations, a new video and podcast series bringing you insights with impact into energy, economics, and a changing world in the COVID-19 era. This episode is moderated by my colleague, Carles Pasquale, Senior Vice President of Global Energy at IHS Market. Enjoy the conversation. Hello, my name is Carlos Pasquale, and welcome to Sierra Week Conversations, a series presented by IHS Market. In this series, we have an opportunity to feature people who are driving and implementing change in energy and public policy and economics and technology. And today, we have a chance to delve into a topic that makes me very excited, how to drive change where we live, and in particular, on the focus of cities and the role that they're, they're playing in creating a future which is net free of carbon emissions. To lead that conversation, we have two individuals at opposite tips of the world. One is Barney Crockett, the Lord Provost of Aberdeen and the president of, world, of the World Energy Cities Partnership. Barney, pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much for joining. Thanks a lot, Carlos. It's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And the second is Pendile Maxite, who is the Counselor for Energy and Climate Change in the city of Cape Town. Pendile, it's an absolute pleasure to have you as well. Uh, thank you, Carlos. Thank you for inviting us to your show. And so we're joining here then at different parts of the world. And what we want to do in this conversation is focus on why net zero carbon emissions and how to get there. And if I can start with you, Barney. Aberdeen is a hub for energy, for oil and gas, and this has been a tough time for the energy industry, the collapse of oil prices. Why net zero at a time like this? I think a key thing, Carlos, is, uh, uh, as another mayor said, never waste a crisis. I think that uh, Aberdeen is traditionally the most internationally orientated of the energy centers in the world. It has a bigger proportion of people working abroad. Uh, than others. We have to be very adept at uh, trying to cope with uh, the, 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 the very big changes that we get fairly regularly. But in particular here, we've got a very big change. And uh, I think that people, it really has driven people to realize that we have a, a big requirement to move to net zero as part of the response to those changes. And I think that really it's staggering to me how quick that realization has flowed through to the private sector in our city and uh, is shared by the public uh, leadership as well. Indeed, a growing realization from the bottom up. And it's interesting, Pendile, Cape Town also has had its crises, and most recently in water. Is this transition to net zero an existential issue for Cape Town? Thank you, Carlos. The city of Cape Town signed the C40 deadline 2020 program in 2017 during the early periods of the, of the drought. These programs entail developing ambitious climate change action plan by 2020 that achieves the adaptation and the mitigation goals of the Paris Agreement. In 2018, we came uncomfortably close to being the first major modern city to run out of water. And while we managed to rally together as Capetonians, adapted to the crisis and avoided day zero, the risk remains. This showed the urgency for bold action 
which is imperative to become even more resilient and reverse climate change. This is why we are putting our effort behind the commitment to become carbon neutral by 2050. So my answer to that, it will be yes or no, because this is the work that we were, we were doing even before the, the draft. And indeed, let's, let's come back to this question of the pandemic and how that plays into this situation. Has, has it changed, Barney, the commitment or has it made it deeper? I think it's made it uh, you know, much sharper and, and deeper. I think that uh, we face a big uh, jobs uh, issue in the city uh, because of COVID as well as because of changes in oil and gas. And I think people realize that we need to make a very rapid change into offering a, a wider uh, spectrum of energy uh, services. And um, I think, again, it, it's been a, a big fort fortifying thing for me to see that the, the COVID has actually strengthened the partnerships between the different elements of the city. And I think that will be the crucial element for cities going forward. They're going to have to have a very broad front. They're going to have to work together, trying to knit, knit together their own local companies, but also linking to their uh, national and regional governments as well to try and, and, and push this forward. And uh, I think, yeah, it, it is quite a challenge to look at the, this uh, unprecedented economic uh, uh, situation we're going through. Um, but we need to see that uh, bounce back uh, to, to be ready for that bounce back, to be ready to, to meet those challenges. And I think that, again, having heard our colleagues from Cape Town, I think that really cities right across the world are going to build networks to, to try and force that forward and, and build together as, as we have been doing with Cape Town. Working together, uh, Pendile, let's, let's build on that and the question of stakeholders. In the context of Cape Town, you also have a history of social injustice to overcome. So when you look at your stake, stakeholders, um, is the support for net zero as broadly based all across Cape Town from the township of Kailicha to other parts of the city? Thank you, Carlos. Our climate change strategy and action plan aims to drive a fair and inclusive sustainability transition. We as the city cannot on our own actually deal with this issue of uh, climate change. Hence, we, I would say we preach engaging collaboration and partnering with residents, businesses, and any other organization that is in Cape Town. We have just completed some research on the perceptions of climate change amongst our residents. And while it is very clear that our knowledge on climate change and the idea of carbon neutrality is low, the drought showed that Capetonians are willing to act collectively to starve off crisis. In the energy and climate change directorate that I'm leading, we have a low income energy service branch who are actually specifically investigating options to reduce energy poverty amongst low-income households at the same time as, a, as targeting the net zero. Some of the projects that uh, this space have included the rollout of solar water heaters, a ceiling retrofit program to improve the thermal efficiency of homes, and uh, the distribution of home solar keys for lighting and charging phones. So we are including everybody. We are trying by all means to be inclusive as we can. And one critical part of inclusivity is, is jobs. It's fundamental to any city official. Barney, is a net zero strategy going to produce a, a net plus in jobs? 
I think it certainly will produce a plus. Um, it will not, I don't think, entirely bridge the gap that we're going to see, but it's going to be an important element in bridging that gap. And also, I think that as well as producing jobs in itself, that, that shift, uh, cities will also be trying to profile themselves as leading in, in, uh, in the broad change as well. So I think that having the profile of pushing for that net zero is going to encourage other uh, aspects of the economy to come forward as well and attract other companies and, and people to our city as well. And I think that will be really important, making sure that our cities uh, are seen to be very attractive to businesses and people who are looking to the future. And I think that uh, our companies traditionally rooted in the oil and gas sector are really aware of that and, 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 and can see that that is a crucial part of the future and therefore very, very keen to support the move to net zero. And Pindile, what kind of feedback are you getting from your stakeholders on job creation? Do they see this as something which is critical to a future of job sustainability and viability? I think that, to, to, if I'm really honest, I think that they see their own needs uh, looming. Uh, we have uh, quite an aging workforce in our, our energy sector. And uh, I think that companies are able to see their own particular needs there and that, that need to be very attractive. And we hope, I mean, here in Pindeli, there in, in, uh, in Cape Town, we have to try and take those needs amongst particular companies and uh, try to get that generally across our city that we can try to be as inclusive as possible, but also be attracting the right kind, the right the people who are going to fit those jobs and enjoy those jobs uh, that, that are going to come up in the energy sector, particularly the net energy and the green energy sectors that we're developing. And I think that cities that engage in that are going to win from it. And, uh, you know, that, that's going to be a, certainly a crucial part of Aberdeen's future. And I think uh, for energy related cities right across the world. Pindila in Cape Town, um, how are you seeing the prospects for job creation and how does net zero fit into that equation? For the city of Cape Town, we understand the need to take an integrated approach to our climate change response and recognize that climate change is a key risk to the economy. Cape Town is home to a growing green economy as well as a number of industries that are currently exposed to trade risk due to high levels of embedded carbon in the electricity used to produce their goods and services. For example, our tourism industry could be impacted if our sustainability levels do not match international standards or the agricultural goods being processed and shipped through the city continue to have high carbon footprint. A key element of the climate change strategy is to create a carbon neutral and green economy through economic inclusiveness while maintaining the level of service delivery that is required to ensure economic activity can continue and grow. So we are saying energy and water security are two critical elements. For example, we see great opportunities for economic growth and job creation through the recently designated Atlantis Special Economic Zone. That is a particular area in Cape Town that we, we've des we designated to make sure that we will be dealing with uh, the green technology manufacturing as a hub. And uh, the economic impact analysis indicated that uh, by 2034, this initiative is expected to have made a cumulative contribution of a huge 15.2 billion rand to the Western Cape GDP and the possibility of thousands of new employment opportunities. So we believe that uh, by engaging in the green economy, 
we will be actually creating more job opportunities. That is what we believe in. So it's an excellent transition to the other part of, equation, of the equation we want to get into is how to get to net zero. Barney, I'll come back to you. Is the oil and gas community getting behind you on this objective? Well, I think the, the speed of change is the most remarkable feature there, Carlos. I mean, we are, our main uh, oil and gas anchor event in the city is Offshore Europe, uh, which is an oil and gas uh, related uh, show. And, you know, really uh, just over a year ago, we had uh, Offshore uh, Europe and everyone was wanting to speak about the green economy. And, and I remember when I, I was first uh, thought of as a possible President World Energy Cities Partnership, uh, I brought to the table this need that we would have to engage in energy transition. And I have to say, for, for some of the cities, that was a fairly new uh, concept to be thinking. Cities that had a, had a very prosperous background in oil and gas um, were only beginning to think about transformation. But I have to say that speed that, that now, even a year ago, all the companies in this area wanted to talk about the, the green transition and now they're further engaged with that. And they're putting their money where their, their mouth is. We have, uh, I think in Europe, if not the world, we have the only totally privately funded uh, development corporation, um, which has really sunk uh, a lot of its uh, own money into some of these changes and galvanized uh, government responses. So we have uh, an offshore, it's called, uh, uh, sorry, not offshore, we have our oil and gas technology center, which will shortly be the energy uh, uh, center, which has uh, received you know, quite a lot of government uh, investment and a lot of private investment in, in looking at, at those scale of changes. So we have the companies, they all know, uh, you know we've, we've read even in the last few days, uh, the chief executive of BP amongst others speaking about these things. Uh, and our companies have really woken up quite a long time ago. They've been quite uh, proactive. And uh, you know they're they're really pushing. We will have an energy transition zone. We're building a new harbour in the city that will be surrounded by an energy transition zone dedicated to yes to offshore wind, which is a, a big issue here, and um, but also to carbon capture and uh, to hydrogen. So all of these things we, we've got the drive there. We have the companies fully committed, and uh, we're beginning to see the investment in a in a big scale. It's a powerful story, Barney, of industry buying in, and there are also challenges at times with industry. And Pindile, let's talk a little bit about the electricity sector in Cape Town. The main source of emissions that you have is coal-fired power generation. How successful have you been to be able to diversify the power base, and what kind of challenges do you face? As I've said at the beginning, our goal has always been a transition that actually is more resilient, low carbon and resource efficient. The current interpretation of legislation in this country prohibits municipalities from purchasing directly renewable energy from the independent power producers. We can only in this country purchase from ESCOM, which is our central energy provider. While our national energy plan, the integrated resource plan, does include decarbonizing the grid, this is not happening as fast as we would love. After a protracted engagement with the national players, the city decided to take the Minister of Energy and National Energy Regulator to court to get a declaratory order to be able to purchase renewable energy from the independent power producers, a process which is uh, still ongoing 
if we can get this right, we would like to procure between 100 to 300 megawatts of renewable energy in the next 10 years. Despite this, the city is home to 70% of the headquarters of the renewable energy companies, both international and local. And the development of IPP projects located in the Western Cape has brought in significant investment of around 5 billion between 2008 and 2017. We are still working to diversify our energy base. We have begun the assessment and development of a 7 to 10 megawatt ground-mounted uh, PV plant in the SCZ, the Atlantis SCZ that I just spoken about. And we are expanding our rooftop and small ground-mounted PV system below uh, one megawatt. With small scale embedded generation, we, we were the first municipality in the country to offer a feed-in tariff for residents and businesses. We have seen the growth from 0 0.6 megawatt in 2013 to 42 megawatts in June 2020. So our fight to diversify our energy supply is continuing. We're not only relying on the permission that we need from the courts or from the, from the national government. We are continuing with, the other, with other projects that we are doing because as I've said, it was always our intention to make sure that we diversify our, our, our energy mix. So the legal and regulatory base is key, but at the same time, if it's not perfect, perseverance and agility can still achieve impact. Uh, interesting story there. Uh, Barney, you, you told me before that uh, there's a saying that hydrogen will always be the fuel of the future, but you're making it the fuel of today in Aberdeen. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, I, I think, uh, I hope that's very much true, Carlos. Um, you know, we, we've been interested in hydrogen. We were interested in energy leadership for a very long time. So it's over 20 years since the council first started looking at these issues. And it's well over 15 years since we started to think that a key orientation had to be on hydrogen and developing the hydrogen economy. So it's not something that's done in a day. It's been quite long term. And we have built up now. We've got a good structure that we have uh, a lot of our buses uh, now running on hydrogen. We had uh, for quite a while the world's biggest uh, fleet of hydrogen buses and uh, I think we're still up there at the moment. Um, but, and we have, we have hydrogen vehicles. I, I, I will be driving about in a hydrogen car very soon and have been in the past. Um, and we have hydrogen vehicles doing all sorts of purposes for the city uh, administration. But we're moving beyond uh, just transport. Uh, I th we have uh, I think it's Europe's biggest fuel cell is the main operating feature of our uh, brand new uh, uh, conference center, conference and exhibition center. And uh, it's uh, you know, quite pioneering using uh, agricultural waste to produce hydrogen for, uh, for heating and cooling, uh, and as well as some other purposes. And we're moving to heating some of our own uh, uh, social homes, our own council provided homes, uh, by hydrogen in the very near future. That'll be a very big step uh, in a European context. And part of that is really responding. You know, yes, we've tried to play a lead in hydrogen and we're, we're very keen to keep that leadership, but we're aware it's a world system and, um, and we have to look at the, in particular, some of the Asian countries that are doing huge investments. We have to try and keep relevant to that. And uh, we certainly do uh, both in Aberdeen, but also World Energy Cities. We're looking to involve uh, you know, cities in Asia that are using a lot of hydrogen as well. And uh, I hope that uh, you know, we can make sure that hydrogen isn't just the energy of the future, but the energy of right now. 
And uh, I think there are some amazing things in Aberdeen to look at in that regard. A great example of accelerating nature. And Pendila, in Cape Town, you've put a lot of focus on buildings and efficiency in buildings. How well is that working? And is the private sector buying into this transition of, of greater energy efficiency? Thank you, Carlos. Together with the three other major South African metros, which is Tswane, Johannesburg, and Tequini, we are part of the South African Buildings Program, a C40 initiative that is looking to provide regulations that push building efficiency and ultimately require carbon neutrality for all new buildings by 2030. We have a two-pronged approach to this, leading by example through the Municipal Retrofits and Smart Facilities Program. Since 2009, the city has successfully implemented and quantified various energy efficiency and renewable energy projects in efforts to reducing the overall energy consumption. The savings during the period between 2009 to 2019 from these projects amounts to 231,348 megawatts, which is about 300 million rand and 229,035 tons of, of CO2 emissions. Engaging with the residents through our electricity savings campaign, which provides tips to save electricity and money. Because as I've said, you are not only reducing emission when we are doing these projects, we are also saving money. So it is actually working very well with the people. So we've got those campaigns where we are providing these tips to save electricity and money. And we also do share the knowledge with the, with the engagement of the private sector through, we've got what we call a quarterly energy, water and waste forum. So we are bringing private businesses and the city discussing how do we make sure that we can save, we can become energy efficient. So we've got that uh, every quarter, we are sitting with those uh, outside players, if I can call. And I think that's key. So you, you start to get change when people see the impact and see the differences. And it's critical that you're taking these steps to be able to try to bring those benefits forward. Maybe if we could transition to a couple of final issues, we have a few more minutes left in, in our discussion. And let's go to the question of finance and, and stay with you, Pindile, on the question of finance and international partnerships. How important has that been to be able to bring the resources that you need to, to bring to bear to, to be able to support and finance this change? Uh, the city of Cape Town is working with many partners in a funding and non-funding role. Some of our programs have been kickstarted through donor funding, such as the energy metering project via the Energy and Environment Partnership from the Finland. Before, the, before we even uh, became or before those programs were mainstreamed into our city budgets. As part of the C40 program, we also have advisors supporting the development of our climate action plan and the South African buildings program, where I've said we are aiming to achieve a carbon neutrality by 2030 with the new buildings and 2050 with the, with the building that are already there. We also have close collaboration with the GIZ South Africa and ICLE. So we are working with a, a lot of partners. Some are, su are supporting us financially, some with the other resources except finance. So we are having those partnerships with people in the country and people outside of this country. Um, Barney, I, 
Um, I'd like to close with a question to you and in, in more in your capacity as president of the World Energy Cities Partnership. Why are cities so critical to this issue of envisaging and driving change? Well, I think cities have always been the, the, the key drivers of change and innovation. They, they bring together the, the most uh, forward-looking uh, kind of people. We, we have two universities in Aberdeen. It attracts people from all over the world. Uh, Aberdeen also is something maybe in common with a lot of cities. We, we're, uh, off the, we're, we're not a big government city in, in the UK. We're quite a long way from London. We're a long way from Edinburgh. And we have to make our own way. So cities often realise that they have to make their own futures. Um, I learned when I was visiting Houston a few years ago about the concept of diplomacy, cities having their own sets of diplomatic uh, relationships. And I think that, uh, you know, that'll be part of the future, that cities will have to be finding a future for themselves. It's not going to be easy. There's a lot of challenges. Look at the challenges we have there from Pendele um, for Cape Town. But they are the places where the people with the ideas to make that future will come together. And uh, I think that key thing will be togetherness, togetherness within cities. Our own businesses have realised they're going to have to come together in order to find a future for Aberdeen. But Aberdeen also realises it needs links right across the world uh, to try and do these things as well. So our links are strong with, you know, yes, with Cape Town, but with world energy cities right across the planet. We have to work to provide a set of leadership that's a leadership for the world, but also offers our cities a prosperous and good future for our citizens. And we're very much committed to doing that. It's striking listening to the two of you, opposite ends of the world. And yet you have this theme in common that in being leaders in your cities, you're closest to any part of government, to individuals, to what they, pains that they feel, the future that they're aspiring to. And that proximity is driving you to think about the future, to think about how to help those closest to you to be able to realize it and to achieve it. In this concept of net zero, you're recognizing that in the world that is transforming, that part of what you owe your citizens is to prepare them to be part of that transformation. We congratulate you for the work that you're doing. A pleasure, Barney Pendile, to be able to talk to you about the city, about the role of cities and the future that they're creating. Thank you so much. Thanks again for tuning in to another Sierra Week conversation presented by IHS Market. For the complete video series and previous episodes, visit us online at sierraweek.com.